0: Well, buckle up because you're about to get a whirlwind of information. We had uh, the pleasure of interviewing Dr. David Jockers on our podcast and the guy's just a beautiful man inside and out. And, uh, yeah, he, he is a wealth of information.
1: He had a lot of great nuggets for parents, for individuals that are really wanting to optimize their health, especially brain health. And so he really summarizes the whole journey that one can go on in order to optimize all these different aspects of ourselves. So take notes. I really recommend you having some paper and a pen so you get all the information that you
0: need. Yeah, and we dove deep into uh, just children's health and brain health, and, and sort of how the two link together by you know implementing these strategies at a young age and and mindset and whatnot. But I mean, yeah, to your point of of getting a pen and paper ready. I mean, the things he was listing off were, were pretty much straight out of our our our. our medicine cabinet, so to speak, that we do on a daily basis for our kids as well. But it was great to hear another doctor share uh, the wisdom of of how he nurtures his family at home as well. So lots, lots of amazing information there. Enjoy. That's it. Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen.
1: We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders.
0: We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible.
1: Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity,
0: to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more.
1: Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with Dr. Sonia Jensen myself. Thanks so much for being here. And we've got a fun conversation with a, a hero in healthcare. His name is David Jocker. So let's talk a little bit about his bio and where, where he's, he's come from. So he's actually, he lives, in, uh, he lives in Georgia. He's down in the southeast, so sort of opposite corner of the world that we are in. And uh, he's written a couple of amazing books uh, the fasting transformation and the keto metabolic breakthrough and today when, uh, when we invited uh, David on we wanted to talk a little bit about parenting and brain health and some other topics on that on that front but uh, Dr. David Jockers thank you so much for being with us on the show today.
2: Yes for sure I mean it's such an honor uh, really great to, to be a part of this with you guys.
0: Well, it's, you know, we always like to ask people, you know, how they got into what they, what they got into, but, you know, I want to sort of word that question a little bit differently and to say like, what, what drives you? Like what's, what's part of that uh, ignition to, to keep, you know, sharing your message to the world?
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, you know, I look around at our society and I just, I really feel like people have either never discovered or lost touch with, the body's innate ability to heal itself. And um, and I think that's so tragic. I think that just helping people have a better understanding that their body was actually created with this incredible healing power that's constantly working on our behalf to help us heal, regenerate, to become more resilient to all the stressors in life. And to really honor that power that God put within us, I think that's what really what drives me the most is just seeing people get that big idea that, uh, that our body was created to heal. And that if we follow the right rules and principles and we have, we have the right philosophy and the right uh, amount of time and patience with, with, the, with the processes we're going through, that the body can heal.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really empowering and we love that message. And do you have a personal story that kind of brought you to this um, place where you really wanted to ignite this in other individuals? Did you have to first work on yourself to get here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, in my early 20s, I actually had irritable bowel syndrome. So I was a personal trainer. I was eating six, seven meals a day. I had to have a protein shake before I went to bed. Then I woke up in the morning and I had to have, you know, a big bowl of Quaker oatmeal squares with peanuts and blueberries and whey protein and all kinds of stuff. And I was, I literally, my first nutrition class in college in my early 20s, I was eating over 5,000 calories a day. We had to count out how many calories. Was eating so much. And I thought I had to, in order to maintain my muscle mass, cause I'm an ectomorph body type. So I have thin shoulders, thin body type and all of that eating. And I was eating a lot of processed foods and I was eating healthier, healthier diet than the people I knew in my, my environment, but it was a lot of processed foods and it was just so much stress on my system. And I ended up developing irritable bowel where I would have intense cramping and pain in my gut. I ended up losing 30 pounds over the course of about six months uh, just because I couldn't absorb food. And I was, again, intense cramping, gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, and I realized I needed a different approach. And so I started looking at natural health, natural health strategies. My mom actually was training to become a naturopath. So my mom's always been into natural health. And so she turned me on to some different books. I started reading some of these things, started making lifestyle diet changes, And, um, I saw improvement. I saw a lot of improvement, a lot of changes. And that was when I was like, you know what? I want to really be a part of this. I want to, I want to have a healthcare clinic. And so I went to chiropractic college and I was still struggling. I was still having a lot of issues. It was better. I was able to function, do the things I needed to do, but I wasn't over. I still had orthostatic hypotension where I go from sitting to standing and I would be really dizzy and I was still underweight. I was still having trouble putting on weight and um, I was taking early morning classes, and uh, I got turned on by somebody to uh, Dr. Mercola's website, which was relatively new at the time. It was in uh, late 2004, and he was talking about a no grain diet, and so that seemed so extreme to me. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this out because I used to eat oatmeal and you know whole wheat bread and all that kind of stuff. So I took that out, um, went on a no grain diet, saw dramatic improvements to the point where I was like and I was taking early classes and I was like, you know what? I'm not even hungry in the morning. And so I just started drinking a lot of water. In fact, I used to carry like a gallon water jug with me to my classes. And I I would drink a gallon of water before I would eat any food throughout the day. And I had never heard the term intermittent fasting, which is really popular now. A lot of people are talking about it. Never heard the term before in my life. I just realized when I hydrated really well and didn't eat early in the day, I felt a lot better. And I was actually gaining weight getting my muscle back, felt stronger, more energetic in the gym than ever before. And, uh, and people were asking, what are you doing? Cause they saw me get gaining muscle mass. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm drinking a gallon of water in the morning. And I thought it was the water. And, um, and so I followed this lifestyle and it wasn't until really about 2008, 2009 that I heard the term intermittent fasting. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. This is actually what I've been doing. And it was something that really allowed me to regain my life and my health. So, um, nutrition changes, lifestyle changes, really prioritizing good sleep and intermittent fasting revolutionized my life. And um, then when I got out of school, I opened up a clinic, and I was seeing people from all over the world, uh, both virtually and in my office, doing functional medicine, chiropractic care, all different types of things like that. And um, you know, just working with thousands of people, I've been able to see a lot of these you know, just natural healing strategies change and transform so many lives. And so at this point, I don't see clients anymore. I I really just run a um, online health education website, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, just a labor of love. I'm just so passionate about getting this information out and empowering people.
0: That's amazing. And you've got such incredible reach. I mean, you're, you're connected to the Dr. Oz show, the Hallmark, um, you know, series, and it's, it's really incredible to see someone who's, you know, taken such a, a a pivotal turn in their, their health and, and a certain direction in life. And it's just, you know, you're so empowering with, with everything you share and, you know, I couldn't help but think as you're telling your story just about, you know, Dr. McCullough and the early days of, you know, gathering some of that data and here you are creating this huge, you know, database for people to really do what uh, Dr. McCullough has been doing for, for several years. So it's, you know, real testament to living your purpose. It's amazing. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just been a blessing. Somebody, when I was in school, they said, you're going to be the next Dr. Mercola. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, because tech learning technology is not my strength. That's not where I'm strong. And I'm like, there's no way I could have a website like that or put out content like that. And uh, lo and behold, though, that planted a seed. And along the way, I just fell in love with the process of creating really great online health content and um you know that eventually over over many years took on a life of its own so yeah Love yeah, it.
1: And I think your story, I think many people can really resonate with that. I know we. Oh, well, I was at that mindset in my 20s. I've needed oh, to eat sure. all the time, yeah. And yeah. especially because for that muscle gain, even for women, you know, we think that we have to eat all that protein and work out a certain way and do all these things. And it really was for me, it wasn't until after our second son
2: mm-hmm. that
1: I really started to shift because, um, <clears> you know, when you're a mom and you're pregnant and nursing food has a very different relationship. Yeah. And, but when we started fasting, actually, now I work out fasted in the morning. And like you were talking about, I've put on more muscle by doing that instead of having that early morning protein shake, and then another protein shake after a workout and doing, doing all these things that were taught. So I think this um, myth that many of us live with in our younger years, I think it's so good that you're busting that myth for young people too, so that they don't have to go through the stories that we had to.
0: Yeah definitely and i'm just you know hearing about all the digestive stuff i mean how many people you know even listening to this podcast right now they go oh that kind of sounds like me like the irritable bowel symptoms i mean it's just so darn common and we keep doing the same thing over and over obviously expecting something to change but it doesn't until we actually do something that changes in our lifestyle so uh you're you're a parent your father of four kids uh absolutely incredible i mean i love the pictures of of you with your family and and also love how you bring in such a depth of, of faith and and um, appreciation for higher power um, how important is it for you you know as a parent as someone who's educating the masses to really instill that that sense of being connected to something greater because uh, you know there's just there's this different level of connection I think that comes with um with that when you're, when you're sharing what you do. And, and I really appreciate it just being a doctor and and seeing what you're tapped into, but you know, how important is it for you to really share that uh, with not only the people you educate, but also your kids?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's absolutely, it's, it's the foundation of who I am. And so everything should flow from your foundation. And um, you know, for me, my faith in, in God and my faith in Christ is, that's what drives me on a regular basis. And, um, and so, yeah, that comes out in, in parenting. It comes out in things that I'm doing via social media, um, things that I'm teaching people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, getting inspired on a daily basis so easy to walk in the flesh and walk in our, our pride or stubbornness and, um, really living a biblical life is about daily sacrifice and daily surrendering our ego. Um, our ego and our pride and dying to ourself. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, especially when you're in health, <clears throat> like the medical model, the, the goal of the medical model is to ease suffering. And that's a beautiful thing. Like nobody wants to see anybody suffer. Nobody wants to see anybody in pain. However, sometimes suffering is actually the process of getting healthy. You think about like a fever, <clears throat> that's, That's the body creating its own antibiotics, for example. It's creating its own immune attack. So if we're suppressing fevers all the time, we're not allowing the body to do what it naturally is supposed to do in order to slow down viral replication, in order to stop bacteria from fermenting and colonizing and reproducing. So these these microorganisms can only survive at a, a certain very fragile temperature range. And the body knows that. And when it starts heating up, it's slowing down their ability to replicate their ability to survive and it's ramping up our own immune activity but it's uncomfortable like watching a child have a fever is not fun they're not enjoying it i mean you obviously when we have a fever we're not enjoying it either um, but knowing that it's actually what the body was designed to do and the body's doing everything it can to build resilience, to build, to build up its immune muscles, to build its own internal, uh, resilience to the stressors of life. So, you know, taking on that philosophy and just realizing that sometimes beauty comes out of suffering, um, is so critical when we're walking in, in the natural health world. And it's very biblical as well, right? That, you know, our greatest setbacks can be our greatest blessings, And, you know, there's a statement in the Bible that what the enemy means for evil, God can use for good. And I really think that in life and and when it comes to our health, sometimes we overstress our system. We're exposed to too much, too high a pathogenic load. Possibly it was self-induced things. Possibly it was things that, um, you know, we weren't, it wasn't necessarily self-induced, but, uh, you know, perhaps it was an accident or Um, you know, just an overexposure to something that we weren't quite aware of and our body is stressed and now we're suffering because of it, but God can use that and we can actually get stronger through that stress, through that suffering. And that's the beauty that, that, that we take in natural health. And that's really where my faith philosophy infuses with my health philosophy.
0: That's amazing. I mean, The the fact that we have given up so much, uh, I think, in the world that we're currently in, and and I'm sure through our lives as well, because we want the quickest, easiest way out, right? We want the medication. Let's just make the pain go away. Let's turn off the fever. Um, You know, we we have a really interesting relationship with pain and suffering, and we tend to want to, you know, flee, fear, you know, we fear it. We, We try to avoid it as best we can. But, you know, everything you're teaching and sharing right now is really like, well, We're in it. So let's embrace it and let's let's create a new mindset around what this can mean for our healing and and for, um, you know, for our future. And so let's let's take that mindset into to to our kids. Like, what do you think is, you know, some some key things that we can be doing for our children to help maybe understand this mindset? And, and maybe like, let's start talking about some, some things that you do as a parent to make sure that they're optimized. You know Maybe it's vitamins yeah. or mm-hmm. uh, maybe you don't fast your kids right now, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but let's get into that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, a big thing in, in our household that we talk about, and I started coaching my sons, their soccer team, and uh, my sons are great soccer players or great athletes. And a big thing that I constantly tell them, they're very competitive and I'm constantly telling them, All I want is great effort and great attitude, right? You give it, when you're out there, you give it everything you have and you keep a good attitude. Somebody else scores a goal, you don't, you know, like you fall, get up, tell the other player, great job, right? Like I'm constantly reinforcing effort and attitude. That's all I want to see. You don't have to score, you don't have to win. Um, You know, I just want to see great effort and great attitude. And I think that's, that's success principles in life, right? If you are getting up every day and giving your best, And you keep a good, positive attitude, good things are going to happen, right? Bad things will happen at times, but enough good things. You're going to have more good things happen than bad things. And you're going to come out learning and growing and adapting because you're keeping the right attitude. You're not looking at yourself like a victim, Um, you know, and so you're empowering yourself because you are taking control of what you can control. And really all you can control in life is how you show up, your effort and your mindset, your attitude. So this is something we talk about all the time with my kids. Um, my son this morning, our nanny made a great breakfast. For some reason, he decided he doesn't like scrambled eggs. Like, you know, just recently he decided he doesn't like that, right? Like kids do. They just make yeah. decisions. So he was Changes throwing a time. temper tantrum about it because he wanted sunny side up eggs and she made scrambled eggs. And so I, I just sat him down. I said, listen, that's not acceptable. Like we, you cannot do that. Like you're going to go in there. Remember, what's the most important thing? Your attitude. And so I said, you're going to apologize. You're going to thank her for making the food. And you're going to sit down and you're going to eat it. And so it's just kind of imprinting this this mindset. I said, you know what? Jockers boys do not have bad attitudes. We stay positive. We are thankful, right? And so I'm constantly imprinting. And they, at this age, crave my attention and crave my affirmation. And they're looking at me for their identity like who am i in life right they're looking at me for that i know that and so i'm trying to imprint on them this is who you are this is your identity this is how you're going to walk through life even if you don't like something you're going to be thankful for it right and so that's <clears throat> that's one of the perspectives that you know we really really focus in on and then when our kids are suffering we're trying to reinforce the message that hey i know this hurts right now but your body is working. It's working hard to heal you. God is healing your body. Your body's at work. Right. And we're, so we're constantly trying to send that message. And it's interesting we're doing this interview now because November, my kids had not been sick for a long time. And all of a sudden my wife, everybody got a cold and my wife had a pretty bad respiratory virus. Um, and then my kids have all gotten sick and they've had red eyes and this and that. So we're kind of walking through this. Everybody's getting better now, fortunately, but we've been walking through this over the last two weeks. It's been, it's been challenging watching all the kids. Fortunately, I, have, I haven't gotten anything. I've kind of been the caretaker, um, but everybody's been going through this and just kind of walking them all through it and constantly reinforcing. And my wife doesn't have a background in natural health. So she has a medical model background where her parents, her mom, when she was growing up, it was always antibiotics. It was always, you know, some sort of medical treatment, right? The medical treatment, they had more faith in that than they had in the body, right? A lot more faith in whatever the doctor said to take than the body's own ability to be resilient and grow. And so this is, this is a challenge for her, but she's, you know, been really trying to balance this, this idea of, okay, like how much suffering is too much suffering, and, um, at the same time, honoring the body, right. Allowing the body to do what it needs to do. And so it's been an interesting walk, but, um, yeah, we're constantly trying to reinforce that message for the kids. And then, you know, as far as natural things that we're doing, um, you know, my kids, we, we give them vitamin D on a regular basis. We have like a vitamin C powder that we put, we have all different types of like little powders and things like that, With vitamin C powder, we have like a reds powder that's berries and you know, different superfruits and things like that, that we'll put in their water. Sometimes we'll flavor it with stevia to, to help, you know, reinforce them drinking it. Um, we have them uh, cod liver oil. They take cod liver oil every single day, which, which has vitamin D. It has vitamin A in it, it has omega-3 fats, long chain omega-3 fatty acids that are good for the brain and the body. Um, let's see, especially with everything that's been going on. We have a lozenge that has zinc and elderberry, So we've been doing a lot of that. Um, We have uh, colloidal silver, like they've had red eyes and kind of crustiness around their eyes. We've been spraying that into their eyes. Uh, My little six month old had an ear infection. So we're using that, spraying that and taking a Q-tip with with silver, putting that in her ears. Um, We've been using a um, nebulizer. My wife's been using it. So I put silver in there. I've put uh, a product that's a, that's a biomolecular oxygen and also some, uh, antimicrobial antiviral herbs in it. And so kind of making a little concoction and she's been using that. And then she'll put it on the kids for like a few minutes, <clears throat> right. To help them. Cause they, cause they, you know, having something like this, that's got a uh, spray coming out. They don't necessarily enjoy it. They're not, they're not liking sitting there, but we can get them doing it for a few minutes at a time. Um, and so that really helps, you know, just gets all those gases diffusing. We also use a lot of essential oils. So there's little essential oil, like roll-ons that we'll use. Um, so like we've got some that are kind of labeled specifically for different things, like my, our six month old is teething. So we have, you know, one that's designed for that has CBD in it, has some other, other different herbs, frankincense, things like that, that are good for reducing inflammation. Cause when they teeth they have more inflammation in and around their mouth. Right. And of course they she's putting her hand in her mouth. She's salivating. It actually activates a fever. Um, cause again, the body's the body's trying to protect because it's, it's almost like surgery. Like the body is giving itself surgery as that tooth comes up and, and shoots through the gums. And, uh, and so the body's aware that this is a time where it's more susceptible to pathogens because you you're, you're getting a break in the, nat- in the tissue and so now the immune system has got to activate. Um, there's more mucus, right? More congestion because we're trying to protect all those pathways, the openings in the body, the different orifices where our pathogens can come in. And, uh, and so anyways, we use that. Um, we'll use like an oregano roll-on. Oregano is a great antimicrobial. I made a, um, uh, um, <clears throat> what is it called? It's a salve with garlic. So I took garlic, coconut oil and olive oil and put that in our, our little ninja and blended that up right and now that's a paste that I've been putting on the bottoms of their feet it's 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 garlicky so they smell like you know garlic <laughs> bread but you know you put it on there on their around their neck and chest and on their bottoms of their feet um, and so doing that a few times a day to help infuse all those antimicrobial compounds, you know, garlic is like nature's antibiotic, right? So the key is how do you get it? How do you get enough into the system? So kids don't typically like to eat raw garlic, which is one way you could do it. Um, so sometimes putting it in a, a delivery system where we're going through the skin. So it's crossing in transdermally can be really effective, really helpful. Um, and then also like little droppers, you can get like, like dissolved garlic and droppers or oregano. Oregano is also, uh, got, got great antimicrobial properties. So you can use that, um, probiotics, right. Helping, helping support their gut microbiome. So probiotics, uh, our kids take those as well and trying to think what else, um, we have an elderberry liquid as well. So we'll use that. It's got elderberry, it's got, uh, tart cherry. It's got a bunch of different things that all are supportive of astragalus, right. So helping support, their adrenals helping support, um, their just their immune, your immune system in general, become more resilient. So we use a combination of things, but that's kind of the foundation what we're using.
1: Yeah. Awesome. I love all those things. It's very similar to what Mm -hmm. we do with our kids. And I think we've been lucky because we introduced all of this at a very young age. So for them, yeah. it's very normalized. And we were speaking to the nebulized. We get them to nebulize glutathione and it smells like rotten eggs. And it's yeah. just complains <laughs> the whole time. And, yeah. um, so for someone, you know, I think we are in a place where we can recognize um, what they need because we have the tools and we have the training. And so when I see fevers, like luckily for us, our kids have never been on antibiotics. Like they've just, yeah. they lived this other life that if you look at some of their friends have had a very different experience with their colds ear infections and all the things that they go through so how does somebody that maybe doesn't have all the tools recognize where the line is because that fear really shows up for parents right especially with fever for sure and so how do you train people to kind of read the signs or to empower themselves so that they know that it is okay and I know faith has a lot to do with that and trust but we've been told not to trust the intuition or the wisdom that we have, especially moms, you know, I think moms and and dads, but like, there's this other connection that women have with their children that you really do know when you need to seek outside help. Like our oldest once swallowed a um, poisonous flower. It was lily Mm. of the valley. And this guy was putting him to bed that night. And I just looked at him and I was like, No, I feel like his heart rate's going down. He's going to the hospital right now. So they gave him fluids and we just monitored him. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, that intuition's been suppressed. So how do we teach parents to listen to that voice that actually is telling them the right thing and not have to put all our trust into the the medical system?
2: Well, that's a great question. And I, I certainly wouldn't say that I'm an expert in that. Certainly not an expert in teaching parents how to have the right intuition with their kids. Um, you're probably much more of an expert in that. In fact, you know I think that a mother's instinct is extremely powerful. And so I would just challenge the mother to be open-minded to the idea that the body is, is, is going to do everything it can to heal and adapt. But you do have to have good discernment. And a big thing that my wife and I talk about is not making decisions out of fear, right? I feel like fear is from the enemy, right? That's what Satan wants to cripple us with right? God will give us discernment and wisdom. If we pray for wisdom, we have an open mind. And sometimes we can be stuck in like our, our pride or like, especially in a natural health world, it's like, okay, my kids will never get, you know, antibiotics or whatever it is. And we have to come out of that because there's a time and a place for medical treatments where they save lives and, and they're needed. And we try to make the best decision we can with the information that we have. And we live with that decision. And so it's just constantly, every time fear comes in, you know, just saying, you know, I will not make a decision out of fear, but Holy Spirit, fill me with wisdom and discernment. And so just allowing the decisions to come from a place of wisdom and discernment um, and from above, right? And and not necessarily just in our own earthly wisdom. Um, you know, we, we can have a lot of earthly knowledge, right? And, uh, you know, understand these elements of the body, but we really every child is different and every circumstance can be different. And so we really need the Holy spirit's guidance and discernment to make the right decision for our child at that time. So, I mean, we just had it the other night where my, my six month old hundred and like almost 103 degree fever, which is, you know, at that point where you're like, okay, this, we need to bring this fever down or something bad's going to happen or it needs to break at some point. And so kind of on that teetering and I was like, okay, let's just, really observe her tonight and see how she does, you know, and if, if we need to bring her to the hospital or, you know, like we had children's Tylenol available, right. If we feel like it's needed, you know, this can at least bring down the fever a little bit. Right. And just kind of having some of those tools available can be helpful. Right. Just so you don't feel like panicked. Like, I don't, I'm not even, I don't even have any of this ready. I need to go to the store and it's in the middle of the night. Um, And fortunately, thank God she, slept through the night, 12 hours and, you know, and, and her fever broke and she was, she was fine. But you know, that we're, we're ready. We're ready. Okay. If we need to go to the hospital, we'll go to the hospital. We're just going to keep nurturing her. We're going to keep praying over her. We're going to provide, you know, the things that we know of that we can do to help support her. And we're going to trust that her body knows what it's doing, but at some point it possibly may need help. So we're going to keep our our mind open to that possibility. No,
0: I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, nights, we stayed sort of semi-awake listening to our son breathe yeah. or, you know, the things you do as a parent just to, to be observant and, and whatnot. And, and obviously any parent listening is, is going to be relating to this. And, and I think we all have different levels of comfort. And so, you know, to your, to your point, every kid responds a little differently. And when we feel like we're out of our area of expertise, it's time to ask for guidance and help. And, and maybe that means going to the hospital if necessary and whatnot, but, you know, I love how you are teaching though, that this is an adaptive process. You know, the fevers is, is the medicine for the body. We need to raise the temperature in order for, you know, different cytokines to be released or for, you know, change in the microbiome, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think, uh, as a parent, we do develop a level of resiliency that we, you know, say so after, after four kids, you start to learn to, you know, how to navigate these situations a little bit more effectively too. So, uh, I love everything you shared there. So I'd love to talk about, um, you know, this developmental process as we, you know, as we go through, you know, different changes in life, um, you know, is there, you know, what, what are some signs that maybe we need to be, you know, looking for with regards to brain health and optimizing sort of our, our, our game? Like, you know, what are some things that you like to do maybe, or what are some things that you coach people on, you know, as we get, you know, through these, you know, the forties, fifties, and into more of the, the common age related decline to, to brain health. I'd love to sort of jump in that conversation.
2: Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to the brain, we really need good blood sugar sensitivity, right? Good insulin sensitivity and blood sugar stability. So we they call Alzheimer's disease type three diabetes. And that's because it's characterized by insulin resistance. And what happens in the brain when you have insulin resistance is you're not able to get glucose or sugar into the cells for energy, right? So the cells can't produce energy. So they start to die off. And then when a cell dies, it releases a whole bunch of, of toxic compounds that kill nearby cells. So you get this massive brain cell death. So you need to be really good at getting energy into cells or getting the, 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 raw, the raw materials for the cells to produce energy. And that's where you know, low carb style nutrition plans can be really helpful. Um, and then intermittent fasting can be extremely helpful for that because- Those things really help the body become more insulin sensitive where you're able to drive the glucose into the cells. You're also able to get into a state of ketosis from time to time. And ketones are a byproduct of fat metabolism. So our body, most of our cells can use fatty acids for energy and they love it. They produce a lot of energy when they're breaking down fat, but we can't get fatty acids across the blood brain barrier to be able to be utilized, at least not in a sufficient level in the brain. So the liver takes fatty acids, converts them into ketones, which are smaller molecules, water-soluble molecules that can cross easily into the brain where they can be used for energy. And so when glucose or sugar goes down, now the body can use these ketones as an energy source. And the ketones are actually called epigenetic influencers because they actually influence genetic pathways in the brain that turn down inflammation and turn on healing and repair, and also a process called mitochondrial biogenesis. And the mitochondria are what produce all the energy within the cells. And we actually have more mitochondria in our brain and neurons, our nervous system cells than in almost every other cell of the body. Our typical muscle cell has about a thousand mitochondria per cell in our nervous system. We have about 10,000 mitochondria per cell. So intermittent fasting, when we're going kind of extended periods of time, let's say like a popular strategy is, um, eating in an eight hour eating window. So you eat from, let's say 10 AM to 6 PM, and then you fast from 6 PM to 10 AM the next day, you're not getting a continuous surplus of food. So your insulin levels go down and that allows your body, you need lower levels of insulin in order to produce these ketones. So when insulin goes down, now your body starts creating these water-soluble compounds, these ketones that cross into the brain, stimulating the production of those mitochondria in the brain cells. And also your body starts to break down older, damaged, more dysfunctional mitochondria and turning them into healthier, more stress-resilient mitochondria. And that's really, really super key when it comes to the brain. So blood sugar stability to me is kind of the foundation of it. Now, the brain also needs movement. So movement is critical. It's, it's actually an essential nutrient. We call it proprioception. And so we need to be moving our body, exercising, walking, um, doing There's a lot of different things you could do. There's actually a a whole class of exercises called neurobics and neurobics, like neuron and, and aerobics together. So neurobics is kind of these, um, they are non they're not like, they're, 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 they're kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Novel exercises. So they're new types of movements. Kind of, for example, I'm right-hand dominant. So a neurobic exercise would actually be like brushing my hair with my left hand or brushing my teeth with my left hand, because I'm not usually doing that. So it's new. It's a new stimulus. So it challenges my brain and my neurons that we have to, my brain has to produce a whole lot more proteins. I have to travel, basically create a new neural pathway in order to effectively carry out that movement. So that stressor on the brain actually makes the brain stronger and more resilient. You might take a different pathway. Like if you're going to the grocery store, you take one way to go there all the time, you might actually take a different route. So you have to like remember different roads in order to get there. That can challenge your brain in a unique way. You can use different essential oils that you can smell, for example, that are, that are unique and uh, have different smells that you're not used to to stimulate your olfactory nerve that will actually impact different regions of your brain. You can you know, make your food have a lot, of, a lot of aroma right? using different herbs and things like that. That will also impact the brain. These are all examples of neurobic types of exercises that are specific for the brain. So regular movement is so critical. So getting out, walking, moving throughout the day critical for the brain. Um, Resistance training, highly recommended. You actually actually produce a lot of what's called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is like miracle grow to the brain. It helps turn on the production of uh, neuronal cells and these little gaps between the neurons called synapses. And that creates uh, just better neural networks, more refined neural networks, that uh, that are going to keep your memory, your cognitive acceleration, your ability to think sharply and quickly, functioning at a high level. So resistance training, I would recommend a few times a week, and uh, and then also adding in some of these kind of novel movements from time to time. You can do balance exercises. We know that balances, or I'm sorry, balance problems or falls put more people in the hospital than anything else, actually. Right, falls, people falling, and so working on your balance on a regular basis is critical, not only for preventing against that, because your body will adapt and recover quickly. If you're in a, you know, an awkward situation, let's say you walk out of you guys are in Vancouver. So you walk out of your house and you hit some ice on your steps, right? So if you don't have good balance and proprioception, you can easily fall, right? Whereas yeah. somebody who has better balance and proprioception may catch themselves. And we've all been there before, where it's like, we hit some unstable, you know, we, 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 we try to step and there wasn't a step there or we, you know, we, we had gotten some sort of a uncomfortable environment or unbalanced environment. And then we, all of a sudden we caught ourselves at the last minute and we were like, whoa, that could have been bad. And mm-hmm. somebody that has more proprioception, better proprioceptive ability is able to catch themselves in those situations and not, and avoid the fall. Right. And that's so critical. And that's actually a function of a healthy brain. Somebody that tends to be a little bit more clumsy, kind of running into things, tripping, kind of turning their ankle more, seems to be like step, you know, just stepping wrong in different things that actually, if you're noticing that on a regular basis, it's actually a sign that your brain is not functioning very well. You've got more inflammation. You've got areas in your balance centers of your brain that are not maturing and developing properly, right? So working on that, doing balance exercises is a great way. work on that. So that's really critical, getting the right movement in. Um, Chiropractic care can really help with this, getting motion into the spine, which puts out a lot of proprioceptive um, feedback into the brain, right? So it really enhances the brain. It's kind of like, again, providing critical nutrients up into the brain. So I think that's critical. We want to keep a non-toxic environment. So if we're consuming air, food, and water, That's loaded with industrial compounds and toxins and heavy metals. All of those things are toxic to the brain and create more damage and destruction. So having a good water filtration uh, system in your house, air filtration. So you're breathing in the cleanest air possible, all really important things. And, um, you know, doing things to help your body detoxify. Intermittent fasting helps with that good hydration, infrared sauna, a lot of good research on getting in a sauna a few times a week, right? And sweating and actually reducing the risk of dementia and, and Alzheimer's and things like that. Because again, you're moving these toxins out of the body. So opening up your drainage pathways in general. So sweating, um, exercise, which will help with respiration. We move toxins out through breathing, through um, through urination, right? So hydrating well, defecation, having really good bowel movements, right? So doing what you can to, to support really good bowel movements. And, uh, and sweating, right are, are the ways that we're moving these toxins out. So all of those things are, are helpful. and you can obviously, I'm sure you guys do things with a detox program that, that you know are life changing, right? So a lot of functional practitioners, we're working with people on a regular basis to help get these toxins out. A lot of times these kind of mysterious or unexplained illnesses have to do with toxicity. Maybe somebody's being exposed to regular toxins in their home from mold. Um, that's causing major inflammation in the brain. We need to get out of that environment, change the environment and help get rid of the mold and the mycotoxins and the things like that that are in the system. So working, you know, there's things you can do on your own to start, but if you're hitting a plateau, you just don't feel like you're you're seeing results. Certainly working with a practitioner um, to help remove these toxins, super critical. So I'd recommend that. Getting out in the sunshine is so powerful. Vitamin D, Most, most people have heard of vitamin D, one of the most powerful nutrients for brain health. And then on top of that, we know the sun stimulates vitamin D and that is responsible for a lot of its benefits of of sun exposure, but there are things, there are benefits we get from sun exposure that we do not get from just taking a vitamin D supplement. So getting out in the sun helps regulate your circadian rhythm, which is really important for good deep sleep. Also, the the different wavelengths of light that we're exposed to, red light, um, infrared light, as well as the UVA, UVB light that stimulate vitamin D, The the red light as well as the UV light stimulate healthier mitochondria. So we were talking about that earlier with fasting, but actually getting sun exposure, particularly into our eyes and on our skin, helps create healthier mitochondrial function in our brain. As well as throughout our body. So super critical. And then that will also help with sleep and sleep is critical. People with neurodegenerative disorders have a marked reduction in melatonin. Melatonin is our sleep hormone. It's also the most powerful antioxidant endogenously produced in the brain, right? So meaning that our body produces itself uh, in the, in the neural tissue, It really powerfully reduces oxidative stress and free radicals amazing for the immune system. And so we are going to produce melatonin as long as we follow good sleep hygiene practices. So getting sun exposure during the day actually helps us produce melatonin at night and then reducing our exposure to blue light or wearing blue light blocking glasses. Like my wife and I do after, after dark, we put on these blue light blocking glasses. After we put our kids down blue light blocking glasses go on, which are basically like a, a, a orange tinted glass um, or glasses with orange tint. And the idea is that red light, okay, like our ancestors would have been exposed to with fire, for example, doesn't suppress melatonin, sig- not, at least not at a significant level compared to blue light. Blue light is what's coming from most of our light bulbs, our devices, computers, you know, all this kind of stuff, our TVs. And that blue light is similar to like daylight, right? And so when we're watching TV or looking at our phone or computer at, or we have our lights on throughout our house at night, we're basically telling our, our brain that it's the middle of the day. And so it's not going to produce melatonin. We need to dim the lights. So we dim all the lights. We turn on a few lights that are more like red, orange lighting just to get have a little bit of lighting in the house. And then we have our blue light blocking glasses. So if we are, looking at our phones and things like that, we're at least suppressing some of that blue light and creating the right environment for good sleep. And then at night we wear sleep masks. We try to keep the room cool. There's a whole lot of different things that you can do keeping your room cool, not eating too late at night, uh, giving yourself like three hours at least between your last meal um, and going to sleep is really important for, for good sleep, sleep hygiene and sleep quality. Um, keeping your room as dark as possible, wearing an eye mask can be really important. Um, I also wear a breathe right strip as well to help actually, uh, there's two different ones that I have. I actually have these breathe right strips right here. And then I also have this little intake, which is kind of these magnetic, I've been experimenting with these, um, which is kind of a magnetic strip that I'll put on my nose that helps open up my nasal passages. So I get Roughly, they say about 10 to 20% more room there for air to flow through. And then I put tape over my mouth. So it stops me from breathing through my mouth. Mouth breathing, which most people do just by default um, at night, activates more of your sympathetic nervous system, which is more of your fight or flight. It doesn't allow you to get as deep, good quality sleep. So I'll put mouth tape on, open up those nasal passages so I get the best quality nasal breathing at night and nasal breathing is amazing. Just alone for your brain increases nitric oxide and oxygen delivery to your brain. So throughout the day, you want to be trying to breathe through your nose as much as possible. And then at night, creating an environment where you can be breathing through your nose um, can be really powerful for overall brain health. So I know we talked about a, a bunch of things right there. So we we'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> you're an encyclopedia man it's yeah. it's amazing to hear just all those strategies I'm curious because I know you got the order ring yeah what did you notice by adding the, the magnetic uh, and the and mouth tape and did you notice the change yeah. you deep you know growth? it's it's yeah.
2: really it's definitely helped you know I'm somebody that you know I, I, it's hard to explain but I'm somebody that I have been getting I don't know six hours of sleep. Now I'll be in bed for longer, but like, I'll only get like six, six and a half hours of sleep, but I can still function at a really high level with that. And I'm still working on ways to like bump up my heart rate variability, right? Things like that. But I definitely noticed a bump an improvement in my heart rate variability as a whole, um, with the nasal breathing. I'm going to experimenting with a number of things. Like, why am I, why is my heart rate variability at night still like in the thirties? right? Hmm. When I'd love to get it up over 50, 60, you know, so I've been experimenting, but that definitely seems to have helped. And I feel more refreshed, right? When I wake up in the morning. It's awesome. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a lot that people can unpack from all that you gave us uh, right now. And one of the themes that I really want to highlight for people to hear when you were talking about brain health is the variation. So we often talk about variation when it comes to food, making sure we're getting like different types of vegetables, different types of spices and all the various things to feed the Mm -hmm. microbiome. And what I heard you say also is that variation within our routines in our life so that the brain is also having to shift and adapt and create that potential again that's already there that we often sometimes focus other areas but not so much when it comes to the brain so i hope the listeners really kind of tapped into that or re-listen to everything that you were pointing out with some of the the daily habits because it really is those simple things that we do every day that make a huge difference and not everybody's going to have access to all the things that we all do like we have infrareds on at home we have a red light at home right now yeah we have a beamer mat we have all these gadgets And yet really just spending time outside and doing these simple things can be just as good, but it's more of that, what are we doing every day? So I'm really happy that you kind of package that all together and that understanding that that those small steps are what's going to create the big results.
0: Yeah, and especially tying that even to... The discussion on kids, right, and just realizing like there's all these little things that we can slowly get our kids to do, you know and and you know especially because you know I think the the stats on Alzheimer's dementia are like one in two people or or everybody is developing some level of like brain fog and early cognitive decline um you know sooner than later. so I think you know tying this this is partly why we want to tie these two conversations together because yeah. it's critical what we implement now and to your mm-hmm. point, yeah, because yeah,
1: the kids are watching right they're watching our daily habits and That's especially right. like. We have a seven-year-old and 10-year-old and the 10-year-old's kind of questioning everything now too like Mm -hmm. well why is it that they do this and so they see our habits and then hopefully they will you know we get them to implement what we can and then they also will start to do that as they as they grow older Mm -hmm. so my last question for you before we close is that you know nick asked you in the beginning what drives you and for me i always like to know what impact people want to leave in this world if tomorrow you knew was your last day um, on earth.
2: Yeah. I mean, talking about just going back to what I, I was talking about when we started, you know, I, I really would just love to help inspire as many people as possible to have more faith in the power that made their body than in, you know, anything that man has made. And to just be able to put, put that faith back into the miraculous, incredible creation that is the human body and to be able to trust and honor it and, uh, you know, live without fear. You know, we talked about that earlier, um, not being, making decisions out of fear, but instead seeking wisdom and discernment.
0: Amazing. Well, and and on that path to uh, inspiration, you've got something for our listeners. Would you mind just sort of sharing a little bit about that and then maybe just, you know, it's right behind you. For those of you who are watching the video, make sure you definitely get those, those two books that he's got there, the keto metabolic breakthrough and the fasting transformation. But please also, you you got a, you got a special for our listeners, so.
2: Yeah, yeah. So my uh, seven day liver cleanse and gallbladder cleanse guide. um, You know, so many people are out there that really want to clean up their diet and their lifestyle. And so that guide is just really all about how to do that, how to cleanse your body and there's so many people out there that are dealing with gallstones, right, and sluggish bile. I see that being a huge issue. And so the idea of that booklet is to really—it's tons of infographics and uh, you know a protocol to walk through that really helps you understand the importance of your liver, importance of, of good bile flow, and then how to really open up that those drainage pathways and, uh, and start to cleanse and heal and detoxify. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank
0: you. I mean, and that's directly related to, to brain health. Like you can't have a healthy brain if your liver is toxic and not not moving properly. not healthy so. anything if no. your
1: liver is toxic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. totally. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so good. Dr. David, thank you so much for spending a, a bit of your afternoon with us. Uh, I mean, like I said, your encyclopedia, you, the, the amount of information that you share, is
2: it's brilliant. And uh, we're just so grateful you took time with us today. Thanks so much, guys. An honor and a privilege. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. Have a good day.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast.
1: Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together.
0: You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, doctorsjensen.com.
1: Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice.
0: Please see a healthcare professional that received the care needed.
1: Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom.
0: And welcome to the tribe.